Welcome to Engaging ESG, the new podcast that considers what it takes to get ESG comms right and how it can go oh so wrong. From fears of greenwashing and systemic bias to the backlash against woke investing, the risk of getting ESG wrong can be high, but so can ignoring the concerns of employees, consumers, and our planet. I'm Jennifer Owens, former external content strategy lead for Meta Sustainability. And I'm Katie Callens, former head of sustainability engagement at Meta. In this 10-part series, we'll delve into the complexities of ESG communications by tackling your toughest inquiries. We'll explore the pitfalls and opportunities and share practical answers you and your team can use today as you navigate the evolving landscape of environmental, social, and governance topics. Let's get started. Katie, hello. Hello, Jen. Welcome to episode three of our new podcast. I am so happy that we get the opportunity to break this all down and do pieces and pieces each week. It's such a changing and evolving field. Yes. And I'm excited that today we're going to dive a little bit more into the details. I think thus far, we've kind of been painting a broad brush of what we think about when we think about the fundamentals of ESG. Once again, that stands for environmental, social, and governance. And so last episode, we mapped the key stakeholders that are typically involved in helping you create your comm strategy. Always good to keep those in mind. And today, I think we're going to focus a bit more closely on the actual outputs, the ESG comms and diving specifically into the difference between required Mm -hmm. or regulatory and voluntary reporting and comms outputs. Yes. We touched on this Last week, you know, that publicly held companies in the U.S. are required to disclose certain information about their business, usually around business risk. I was a business reporter who covered filings in the SEC. I used to have to actually go to the basement of the SEC to look up filings because I've been around that long. But it's not just the U.S. It's also countries where a business does business. Yeah. And I think when we are looking at the landscape of the regulatory requirements, there's probably two pieces of this that most Mm. folks are thinking about. You know, one is coming from Europe. So it's called the CSRD. It's the EU's Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. And then in the US, we're looking at proposed regulations right now from the US Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, that are reshaping the landscape, you know, when we think about overall ESG communications. And this is a big deal because, you know, voluntary reports like the ones that Jen and I have worked on in the past have been something that companies have done to highlight the work that they're doing and show their direction of travel. But once you start to get government regulatory agencies into it, it becomes a really different game. And, um, you know, for better or for worse, I think, you know, when we think about voluntary reports, there is a wide range in the quality that is put out there and the quantity, and that can be hard for other stakeholders, investors, consumers, employees to compare apples to apples. But when you're looking at specific regulations, it's actually a lot easier for folks to understand. And it also really drives companies to enhance their reporting and ensure transparency, which is really, really the goal here, wanting to understand what organizations are doing and how that links up to their larger goals. Because that's where you and I come in, is that, you know, 
we've worked with the fine folks that do the reporting and transparency, do the auditing of admissions and and the like. And some of them that is not required, but companies will decide to do those reports because you know they're committed to the the transparency that comes with that. But now we're going to turn and look at the, what's truly the narrative of what you're trying to say and creating a cohesive framework around your commitment to ESG. And so that's, we're talking about the ESG report, which will likely pull in. I mean, it sh- certainly should align with what you're putting out there on your regulatory stuff. Let's, you know, make sure we're telling the same story everywhere, but also the different articles or thought leader opinions or events. You can sponsor events. You could be doing social media. You've done internal workshops, all the same. So the idea is to kind of, in my mind, is to bridge the gap between all those numbers and metrics and stats that are required by the governments that you're dealing in and tell a story that your stakeholders want to hear or need to hear. Yeah. And I'll just build on that to say that when we're counseling folks internally that we're working with to create these narratives, one thing I like to always remind them of is the rule of threes. Mm. What are the three top messages that you want this particular stakeholder to take away from the event or the report or whatever? There's been a lot of studies that have shown people actually can't hold on to more than three separate thoughts at a time. (laughs) And so I'm like, three is a lot, but that's exactly what I was thinking too. Like, geez, Louise. We'll take it. But yeah. So, and that can be a really foundational piece when, you know, you're working with teams or individuals that have so much to share. And I think bringing it back to this concept of the narrative that Jen was mentioning, you know, what are the three things around your sustainability program, for example, that you want people to understand? Let's say it's, you know, priority of action mm-hmm. on climate, that we're using products to reach the most vulnerable communities, and that we, let's say, focus on responsible supply chain and thinking about kind of our broader impact communities right. beyond just our company. Like it can be really, I think some of the hardest work sometimes can be this topic of how do you identify what are the three focus areas? But once you do, and once you're able to get everyone on board about what those three key messages or focus areas are, and then you can make sure that the outputs build. All connect. Yeah. All connect. It'll be really helpful for people to follow that through line and really understand how this work relates. And then it gets to something that I think a lot of teams and organizations struggle with, which is this idea of ruthless prioritization. How do we know what to talk about and how to talk about it? And if you have this narrative and framework that you're building off of, it becomes less of a subjective thing of like, oh, is this important? And more of like, does this continue to drive these three key topics, these three key messages? Right. But then somehow it always ends up being a 150 page impact report. (laughs) You could be as ruthless as you want, but everyone wants their same three priorities in that report. And the report will be beautiful. There are beautiful, smart people working on those. There are great vendors that work on them. And there's real value in those reports to kind of put it all together, to tell the story as you can. But there's no way, as many pages as it is, there's no way that one report can serve all the stakeholders that need you. Few of us will read the whole report, though you and I will, but other than that. (laughs) 
We're paid And to. it's a reference <laughs> document. I think that's right. maybe a way to think about it. Not everyone will be interested in all 150 pages, but there will be people trying to understand your philanthropy strategy yeah, or your go straight to to product. Yeah, yeah. And so having those details in there readily accessible will serve many different stakeholders. And I love that because that's, you know, if you're thinking of what they call a 360 marketing plan, you're thinking of all the touch points. So if you have investors, you know, that how would they see you? Where will they see you? Now, certainly there's a whole regulatory part of that if they're reading SEC filing. But if they're coming in for comms, where do they gather? What events are they at? What sort of even social media are they on LinkedIn? Who sees you and what? Advocates in the space or climate creators, where are they? And the like, they, that's where you want to take those 150 pages and this seems silly, but you know, what are all the touch points? Are there 150 touch points? Hope not, because it's way too many touch. Stop touching me. But <laughs> you know, like you got to think about, okay, now that you've made this reference document, how do you break it apart? And having that narrative, it will always be a through line in that report, but being able to boil it down is so important. But here's the question: who owns that narrative? Who comes up with that narrative? And I'll step away from the mic now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's a great question. And I think this is where this work really overlaps with a more traditional comms function, yeah. right? When we think about companies and how they talk about themselves, they often do so in this more organized narrative form. You often see them referencing back to company values and the kind of direction of travel as far as their strategic positioning. There's a yeah. lot of alignment there. So that's another benefit that I'll just add is if you can get yourself and your kind of key ESG stakeholders organized around a narrative, it is going to be so much easier for you to work with your comms and marketing partners because that's a format that they're familiar with and they know that's actually a format that works. So when we think about who owns the narrative, I think this is a really interesting question because it kind of comes down to, once again the construction of the sustainability ESG team and where they right. sit in the organization. Yeah. I think as anyone who's been in this space for a while, they know that the role of sustainability teams, chief sustainability officers, where ESG sits in the company has been really evolving from kind of primarily messaging to really spearheading a true like cross-functional integration of key ESG topics across the corporate strategy, ideally across the entire company. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about ownership of the ESG narrative, you really have to take a step back and understand where does this work happen within the company? And Jen, you know, I thought maybe it'd be useful for me to give like a couple of examples of how I've seen this at different organizations yes. just to sh think. For sure. Okay, cool. So let's go back to our days at Meta. The sustainability team sat and still sits today in the infrastructure data center strategy team. And that's because historically... So sexy. So, so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly a marketing name there. But the historical reason for that is because water and energy footprint sits within the data center org. And therefore, that's where the sustainability work started over yep. a decade. And it hasn't moved. And so... For doing narrative work like you and I led at Meta, there was a degree of us kind of talking about the broader sustainability and ESG piece, but we would work actually directly with people who did data center communications. Correct. So they were comms folks. They had 
the background and kind of data centers, but not as much sustainability. And then while we were there, there was a movement of kind of trying to link up with the social impact teams. And also we had a wonderful ESG executive champion out of legal. And so there started to be some tension between the different comms teams that were now seeing themselves, as you note, as owners or wanting to own pieces of this. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about a legal comms person and a data center comms person, they're probably not talking that much. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Beyond this. So I think that's why just to reference back our last episode about stakeholder engagement, really knowing all the different teams and players that you're going to need to be working with and helping them socialize to the broader strategy is so key because as this work evolves and matures, it's going to move across the company, which is what we've always wanted. But that also just means an increasingly matrixed and complex set of players that will be wanting to weigh in and for like this report, an example, like have so many different levels of approval. And that's great. You know, it's better than being in a siloed thing, but it makes the folks who are building the narrative and building these comms outputs have an even more challenging job. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's one company. Another organization I worked with, Google, I was on in the real estate org doing green building work. And so as we were developing content, it was very real estate focused. And then we had a chief sustainability officer come in, Kate Brandt, who was based in infrastructure. And so there was a lot of conversations around, you know, how do we talk about our product work and our real estate work and our data center work? And all while like the programs were evolving and shifting, as well as product work. And that was a whole nother kind of set of stakeholders to manage. And so I've seen this work run out of legal, out of the more operational capacities, out of sometimes actually the marketing and comms, Mm -hmm. it really depends. And so I think understanding, of course, you have marketing and comms professionals that are going to be really crucial and experts in helping you craft the narrative and engage stakeholders if they want to be involved. (laughs) For uh, for sure, right? Because it's just another to-do list for them. You know, it's another item on their to-do list. So we do have to be, you know, open to the idea that we're not top of mind for some Yeah, folks. not always. Hopefully yeah. in middle of mind, maybe. <laughs> and then legal functions, which increasingly are becoming more important as we move into yep. more of the regulatory space, but they're always going to be vital stakeholders around, you know, compliance and providing guidance on disclosure. And then as noted, you know, we have these really key operational subject matter experts that are responsible for truly implementing the ESG initiatives and they provide mm-hmm really key data and often the connections and testimonials from partners that we work with in the field. And so, yeah, it kind of depends on where you sit and how those relationships currently exist as you start to pull together this narrative. But I think the other thing that can be useful to think about too is what are other similar reports that your company maybe puts out there? Maybe they don't haven't done like a full on ESG report, but is there a subset support report, like a diversity inclusion, like the ones you've worked on, Jen, like how do those teams navigate your company's internal structures and politics and approvals? And how can you, you know, get to know them as key collaborators to help you accelerate this process? Because it's going to take a bit. Yeah. And see where the, you know, the potholes are that you don't want to fall into because they've probably, your diversity report has probably been going for a lot longer than your sustainability report. Exactly. So you might as well, you know, might as well learn from those who have gone before. 
Definitely. So now say we've we figured out the narrative, we figured out who owns it. I think the next step in thinking about a comm strategy is getting the ruthless, ruthless prioritization of the audiences we're targeting. Because as you know, the saying, you don't want to boil the ocean. You can't be everything to everyone. And so narrowing down who you want to reach helps you take that narrative and turn it into messaging and also helps you decide what to focus on in terms of where is that audience? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they at certain events? You can't be running the bases all the time. You want to know where these people are so that the message is focused and ruthlessly prioritized. I I like that phrase because that's that's going to help you not burn out (laughs) as we talk person to person. Definitely. Yeah. You want to make sure also that with these stakeholders that you're asking information for, you do so in kind of a predictable cadence because yes. they're also doing reporting up to their executives and up to the board maybe. And if you're just kind of another ask for them that isn't linked to the broader comm strategy, that can be really disruptive. That is so true because also I I have built my career on the power of content just popping up and saying and just dropping your massive report and then walking away, there is you've built no relationship with any of these stakeholders, internal or external, about what this all means. You've kind of put the homework on them to say, hey, it's all in the 150 pages. You go right ahead. And you haven't done your work at that point. That's what I think it's a endless stream of content that uh, in whatever form is appropriate to the audience you're trying to reach of having, we have been part of this conversation, you know, and doing it constantly and doing it also in a, in a way that is authentic and also invites dialogue. I mean, you know, we say these things, it's not the easiest thing to do, but also doing it the easy way, which is just dumping your report and running. It's not going to do you any good. Yeah. That's my feeling. (laughs) I think that's a good feeling. And it makes me think too, John, like as you have been part of creating different types of content under this broad heading of ESG for a bit of time now, like what kind of changes have you seen in this work and in this content? Well, I definitely think the rise of creators, content creators. I mean, that, you know, this happened a long time ago. This is nothing new, but it continues to evolve, is that the gates are open. There are fewer and fewer gatekeepers that can control what the the larger conversation is going to be. So having a sense of being in dialogue and respecting and be of, with, of the creators and also being authentic in what you're talking about and accepting the fact that you don't get everything right, I think that's really different. It, it's the respect for that audience because they're the ones that will come and call you out for greenwashing or for standing up for pride week when you really don't do anything or you give to anti-gay organizations or the like that group is going to be the one that sees you and i think that acknowledging that power is very different than it was say like 10 years ago how about yourself what have you seen Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that's top of mind for me right now is this concept called green hushing. Oh, yeah. Where organizations are doing the work, but they're scared to talk about it 
for fear of backlash. Yeah. Just from the creators that I'm talking about, just that alone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a fear of doing it wrong and it keeps people quiet. And that I think is incredibly unfortunate because being part of the dialogue is always vital and you should be getting credit for the work that your organization is doing. And I think, you know, as much as organizations can be taken on this journey, probably with their comms colleagues about how to talk about this work and the understanding that they might make mistakes yeah, is incredibly important because that is how to speak authentically, to do your best to discuss these things that you're working on and do so with a conscientious about a lot of uh, kind of moving topics and yeah. overlap around things like climate justice and that maybe sometimes you're going to be tone deaf, but maybe there's something there around just kind of accepting that you're going to get it right like eight out of 10 times, nine out of 10 times. And the couple times you don't, then great time to yeah. apologize, time to figure out how to do it better. And that's just, that's kind of the evolving scape of business and startups too. Yeah. So I, I'd love if that kind of more like iterative approach could be applied to talking about this work. I mean, it's really a pendulum, right? That it, you yeah. know, there was the We're going to make every claim to man, you know, like we're doing it all. We're making it all happen. And then now we're we're swinging back to a side of like, don't talk about it. Don't bring it up. You know, don't say anything. We'll just do it quietly. And that, you know, yes, could we be in the middle somehow and, and be iterative? That would be great. And so hopefully we get there too, because the green hushing has to, that needs to go because that doesn't help anyone either. The companies see each other really clearly and they're watching each other and so when someone kind of shows the way they really do f- fall in line a million years ago when i was working in the world of working parents you could see the it was it was the best kind of a pissing contest over h- how much the best companies would offer in terms of paid maternity leave because this country doesn't have a federal mandate regarding paid maternity or paternity leave and so when some company would make a pitch to say, look how great we are, now we all for 15 weeks, you'd see them all get in line and try to outdo each other. And it's great, great. Please compete to do better. And, and I want that here in sustainability and DE&I. I want it for everything. Just compete to do better. Definitely. Yeah. The power of peer pressure in some regards can be, <laughs> can be really supportive if everyone's, if it's kind of a race to the top rather than a race to the bottom. I love it. Well, okay, so what are we doing next week, Katie? We are going to continue our trip deep diving into ESG comms land. We're going to be navigating the needs of external partners to understand and respond to increasingly sophisticated issues. So excited to chat more about that. All right. And until next week, keep engaging. Thank you for joining us on Engaging ESG. Have a question for us to consider or a strategy you'd like us to cover? Email us today at engagingesg at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Engaging ESG today. It helps us grow, and even better, be sure to share the podcast with your favorite sustainability, diversity, or social impact colleague. And until next time, keep engaging.